Greetings, everyone. Welcome to Be Green with Amy. I'm Amy. In 2012, my hubby Rick and I adopted a plant-strong diet, and we lost a combined 130 pounds. And since then, I've been coaching people to join me in achieving their plant-based lifestyle goals and weight loss, and of course, improved health. Please post your questions for our guests. You can post comments. Tell us where you're from. You could even type in, be strong, be well, and be green. Just Tad's voice. Let's welcome our guest. Dr. Stuart McGill is an expert on back injury and pain mechanisms. Difficult back cases are regularly referred to him for consultation. He authored five books and over 240 scientific journal papers on back pain. Please click like to help Be Green with Amy. Welcome, Dr. Stuart McGill. Greetings and welcome, Dr. McGill. Uh, greetings, Amy. I am so glad that you're here today. Today, we are going to be discussing back pain. And this is such an extraordinary topic because it really affects so many people, young people even, who may have sustained injuries from sports or car accidents. And of course, as we age, it seems like there's not too many people that can escape that. Now, most of my green warriors out there are, are tuning in today, and they have adopted or are looking to adopt a whole food plant-based lifestyle. But we also have people that may not even be familiar with the lifestyle and are not interested in changing what they eat, but they're still interested in helping themselves or a loved one do something about the low back pain, especially and that's why I really thought it was so important to bring you on today, Dr. McGill, because we're not really going to be talking so much about the food that we eat. We're going to be more, I guess, talking about mechanics, which actually our body is a mechanical entity. So do you want to tell everybody a little bit about your background? And we had a very short introduction, but just kind of tell us how you got here today. Well, I was a professor of uh, spine biomechanics for over 30 years at the University of Waterloo. Uh, 30 years ago, I had one question, and it was simply, how does the back work? And over those years, we developed an experimental clinic, and I developed different laboratories to really probe and investigate this whole world of uh, back pain. That's what took me to the position we're in now. Many, well, hundreds, published hundreds of medical and science journal publications and synthesize them into textbooks. And I'm assuming that's why you asked me to be on. Yes, that is so true. So Dr. McGill, why, why is this solution to back pain so elusive for so many? I understand that, but it's an enormous question. And let me give you the reason why. You can imagine if you changed the words and said leg pain instead of back pain, can you give me an exercise or a solution for nonspecific leg pain? Well, people realize it could be due to a torn ligament, a vascular condition in the muscles, a neuropathy. Uh, you could have a broken leg. In other words, an assessment is required to subcategorize the leg pain into a small homogeneous group so now you can match the treatment. And this is the issue with back pain. As long as we keep the discussion level at nonspecific back pain, that, that is a major reason for the solution being elusive. What's the solution? Obtain a thorough assessment. Well, here is the next roadblock, uh, if you will. In the medical system, there's not a billing code for back pain assessment. So the 
the person will go to their clinician and they will get what the clinician is trained in and it will be a billable code. So whether that's an, a pain medicine injection or a manipulation or a surgery or whatever, it is what the clinician is well-trained to do and gets paid for, but there was no assessment to know. So it was only luck as to whether the treatment was matched to the pain mechanism or pathway. So if we can start with an assessment, then here comes the psychological side of it. Can you imagine if you worked all day and then you reached into the sink at night, you were going to peel some vegetables and you felt as though someone slammed a knife in your back. It came out of nowhere. That would give you PTSD, wouldn't it? All day long, you don't know when someone is going to slam a knife into you. It's, it, it's a terrible psychological victimization that people end up with. And they go to a clinician and the assessment wasn't done and they still remain clueless as to why they got pain. Once they get a thorough assessment, and I can describe the mechanism for that, but once they get a thorough assessment, they now become savvy as to th think about it. When was the last time you had a back attack? Oh, I, I was out of position, or I reached forward and, and touched my shoe, or I sneezed, or I picked up 100 kilos, whatever the thing was. But there will be a common character to the last few back pain episodes. Know that character. The assessment will show what it is. And now, instead of being a victim, you are a, an empowered person with a real strategy match to your pain mechanism so now you can deal with it psychologically you've transformed from a victim into an empowered person with a plan that you execute on your own uh, you can imagine how uh, powerful uh, that is my husband he was over 100 pounds overweight at one time and he had a lot of different back issues there was one time when when he tried to stand up he actually looked like the letter z and he said, if I can't heal from this, I don't know what the point is. And so I've not experienced it myself, except you know, when I was in my younger years, once in a while I would get that, but not to that point. And so he would go to the doctor and they would do the MRIs and whatever. And then they'd give him this little pamphlet handout kind of thing with drawings of different positions of exercise that he could do. It just seemed like it was like, oh, you have back pain? Here, take this handout. And it just didn't seem like there was any thought to a specific thing for him. And fortunately, I think losing the weight helped him, but also just time and rest may have helped him too. And maybe those exercises did. I'm not really sure. What are some low back pain exercises that somebody could do at home? Well, the answer always starts with, it depends. Uh, get a thorough assessment to understand the pain mechanism now the first order of business is to move in a way that does not cause pain. So we call those movement tools or movement hacks. So let me give you an example. Let's do a quick little test. So I'm going to move my camera down and I'm sitting on a, a, a stool here and I'm going to sit up nice and tall and let's say that doesn't trigger back pain. Now I'm going to load it. I'm going to grab the seat pan. I'm going to pull up about, I'm, I'm assuming most of your viewership around the world are Americans. So I'll, I'll talk in pounds rather than kilos. When are the Americans going to join the rest of the world? But anyway, <laughs> no. so I'm going to pull we up. We tried. With, yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> we're going to pull up with 20 pounds or about nine kilo per arm and I load my spine. Now I might find out that that doesn't trigger my pain. Then I'm going to slouch down, not with my head and neck, but I'm just gonna roll my pelvis back like this. And a person might say, oh, right there, that's my pain. So we've just discovered that that is their pain trigger. Interestingly enough, then watch them get out of the chair. Their first move is they might have their knees together, which is a mechanical flaw for that particular mechanism. So I have no option but to go into my pain and stand up. The movement hack would be weightlifting technique 101. Spread the knees apart, get the feet underneath you, sniff a little air, lean forward through the hips and pull the hips through. For the first time, their pain is now gone. Now, if you bit your lip over and over throughout the day, you'd have a fat, painful lip. What's the exercise to cure your lip? It's stop biting it. So there is an example of a movement hack and people quite often, not always, but quite often repeat the pain mechanism. They pick the scab and keep it painful. I'll give you another one. Let's try extension. So they lift their chest and they say, oh yeah, there is my pain. And yet they sit in extension and their first move to get out of a chair is almost comical. It's even more extension. So, you know, it's, it's so interesting that, you know, a, a person will come in and we give them an assessment and they'll say, well, no one's ever worked with me like this before. And I said, well, no one has ever probed you to understand your mechanism of pain and you've, you've remained uh, clueless and frankly, helpless. So there's a little bit of a start. Now we get people with comorbidities, they have, uh, pain triggered by instability. It might be a direct disc bulge on a nerve root. But all of these things have a distinct cause. And once they learn what that cause is, we give them a plan to first stop the cause, wind down the pain sensitivity, and then do strategic exercise for them. So when you ask me about what exercises a person can do at home, are you talking a 20-year-old who works in the uh, out for the roads crew, a strong fella? Or are we talking about my mother? Or do you see what I mean? They all have different injury histories, different levels of current fitness. They have different fitness goals. Uh, they have different comorbidities. So again, I have to go right back to what the science will show. You have to match the exercise. The exercise is simply a goal know the goal, now choose the most efficient way to achieve the goal. And that's the exercise that they can do at home. Now with the right coaching, and we did a, a study in Pensacola, Florida, actually, with the Pensacola Fire Department. And we had one group who was well coached. Coaches were from the Exos uh, organization who are outstanding trainers. Uh, and uh, it was through the uh, Andrews Institute, which most people will know in orthopedics uh, uh, being in Pensacola. But nonetheless, the group that was well coached, their movement patterns that didn't trigger injury mechanisms transferred to their life. We never taught them how to fight fires, but when we measured them on the fire ground, a lot of the injury markers were eliminated. 
those who just trained and the trainers encouraged them to do more repetitions and sweat harder and whatnot, they, they got fit as well. However, they had even more injury markers when they went back onto the fire ground. So good coaching uh, is another part of all of this in terms of what exercises you're doing they're useless if they don't transfer to the rest of your life. So if you are, uh, say, walking along at the grocery store, pushing the grocery cart, and that debilitating pain starts, what do you do? Have you been coached so you're savvy in finding a, a position or a posture that takes the pain away? So one example, can you see me, Amy? Okay. Yes, I can see you very well. So this is, do you see how that is hip motion? And now I'm going to do a pelvic tilt and that's spine motion. Can I create the awareness and the skill to find out, yes, there, my pain is now gone. I've created a resilient spine. Can I then go down and play shortstop and baseball? And every good American knows baseball. So there I am in a shortstop posture. I've tuned the curve of my back to be sweet, moving it away from pain. Now I'm going to stabilize into it by drifting my shoulders down into my back pocket. I'm going to be a leaning tower. I push my toes down, lean tower forward. Now I've stiffened the system with no pain. And stiffness in this particular demonstration is a good thing because your body uses stiffness to control. Now to stand up, I don't lift with my back, which is triggering their pain. I simply pull my hips through. I pull my hips through and drag the weight up. And you can imagine if I was picking up a bar, now no one would walk backwards into a cage and lift a bar. So obviously I'm doing this just to teach, but I will now pick up the bar with my hips and very efficient in terms of uh, triggering back pain. So there might be the transference. Or say we have a mom, a young mom, and her trigger is she doesn't know how to gather her child up in the crib, pull the child towards her, hug the child, shorten the external moment arm, which is the external mechanic, and then pull the hips through, keeping the pain less posture. So there are a few different examples of movement hacks. Or, you know, let's say someone sat slouched in their chair, you confirm that that is their pain mechanism, and then they walk into your clinic. You don't even need to do a test. You just saw how they took their shoes off. They purposefully, unbeknownst to them, but in the mechanics that they chose to use, it triggered their back pain. No one had showed them that in this particular posture, let's say that's their posture of no pain. If they could put their foot up on the chair and then do a lunge, tie their shoe, come out, they just created a, a movement hack where they didn't trigger their pain. Now, what I just did required healthy hips and good balance and all the rest of it. So it's a movement hack that works for some people and it solves their problem. But if I had a hip issue, you see that would be another orthopedic issue I would have to uh, address. So the movement hacks are endless, but it requires some expertise to program what are the best exercises a person should do at home. It will be very difficult for your listenership to find experts who can do the assessment and knows the appropriate movement hack. 
So I'd only ever written uh, medical textbooks up until uh, the mid 20, well, about 2015. And the group came to me and said, would you write a book for the lay public? And I said, well, it's not really my audience. But I then spent the next few years, it was a very difficult book for me to write because I'm used to medical jargon and I can explain things to that audience. But can I make it simple enough that it's consumable, but still preserve the truth of the science? And that was a tremendous challenge for me to seek the balance. But that was the book Back Mechanic, which guides people through a self-assessment probably better than any orthopedic assessment they're going to get of their pain uh, with most clinicians. Now they're savvy. Oh, I understand now that is my pain trigger. Oh, I go on a few pages and there's the movement hack. Now I say, okay, if I added some more core stability, some more hip and ankle mobility, I've now tuned my body to be capable of moving in a way that doesn't trigger their particular pain pathway. So I'm sorry for the long answer on that one, but it's the truth, uh, actual truth of uh, the problem and the solution. It's just so fascinating with our lifestyle that a lot of our viewers and listeners have adopted. They know that the body is a self-healing machine and they know that there's so many mechanisms in our body, even down to the molecular level of a gut microbiome, but when you look at a skeleton, it's just an engineering marble <laughs> that even some of the things that ways that things are put together, if a man was designing it, they may not have even thought of those things because they might have seen like that, that they were fallacies. But when actually when you're trying to have a skeleton balance and, and move, it has to have these different parts to it to make it all work together. So it's, it's just so fascinating. And going back to my husband when he had that back. Amy, may I interrupt for just yeah. one second? Because what you just said was so insightful. There was not in Canada or the U.S., but there was a television show being made in Europe. And they were going to different scientists around the world and say, saying, and each scientist was an expert in one area of the body. And they said, if you got to re-engineer that part of the body for performance, resilience, and all the rest of it, how would you re-engineer it? Let's, let's redesign the body. I happened to be the guy they chose for the low back. And then I had to explain to them that if we had a ball and socket joint in our spine, like, like we're in the hip, we have this wonderfully mobile hip that can move around. It's a ball and a socket. It's a, a, a joint designed for us, uh, mobility and power production, allows us to run. But if we had a stack of ball and sockets in our spine that gave us beautiful movement, can you imagine stacking? I know you're from Florida, so let me use oranges. Let's <laughs> stack 10 oranges, one on top of the other. And do you see how you would need a mammoth muscular guy wire system around that stack of 10 oranges if you're going to ask it to lift 100 pounds? So if I had ball and socket joints, I'd have an enormous torso of muscle. And uh, it, it wouldn't make me very mobile and it would make me very easy to kill if I was in a group of wild animals or had to run or something like that. So you see, at the end of it, I had to show them that the discs in the spine, while they do damage and herniate and uh, go flat and all these kinds of things, 
the body needs those discs to, to create stiffness and defined motion. They're perfect. So I came up to the, with the conclusion that I said, on balance, to allow me to do all of these different things in life, the spine is optimally uh, designed. Guess what the knee guy said? I can't improve it. Guess what the ankle guy said? <laughs> Guess what the neurologist said? So we all came to the point where evolution, it has caused a perfect balance of performance and resilience and adaptability and all the rest of it to be the best survivors in our environment. So I, that came to mind, your, your comments and, and the thoughts you had were, were very high level and, and quite brilliant. But people need to realize they just need to feed that system with the right signals. The, the, the signals, uh, I, I can talk about um, mechanostimulation. The body needs load to be healthy. A couch potato is not healthy, but nor is the person that crosses the tipping point bringing on injury every day. It's in the middle. The cells talk to one another through load and they try and get one to adapt if the load is under the tipping point. But as soon as they cross the tipping point, the cells start to destruct a little bit, to use a, a just a, a lay word. So you're managing the tipping point through those exercises that we were talking about. So now we get into discussions about programming and not too much and not too little. But uh, it's a marvelous system. We just have to feed it and... Uh, feed it literally with nutrients and feed it figuratively with exercise to optimize its function. Wow, that was really fascinating. You talked about evolution. So obviously, we weren't meant to be sitting in front of a computer or in front of a TV binge watching all day. And so when they say that sitting is the new smoking, but when somebody has really intense back pain, sometimes all they want to do is just lay in bed very still. And maybe that is the only moment, if they're lucky, that they don't feel any pain. What my husband's doctor had told him back then was, you need to walk. And it can be painful when you're walking. So is walking, even when painful, a good solution? Not really, but perhaps. And that answer doesn't help very many people. So let me expand on that just a little bit. If walking is causing you to be even more painful, that's a problem. But we have to start somewhere. So we change the way we walk and then we program the way we walk to guarantee success. So let me give an example. Let's say someone gets back pain that's debilitating after five minutes of walking. What is their antidote? Let's say their antidote is just having a short lay. Or let's say the antidote, now I'm going to turn my camera to a patient table. Now you might think this is a bit of a strange place where I have a uh, lifting rack where someone can lift a thousand pounds right beside a uh, examination table. So I'm just going to uh, raise the table up. Uh, got a few hydraulics. I've, I've got a few spine specimens here as well that we may or may not uh, get into. But I mentioned to you earlier that the curvature of a person's spine quite often determines the pain triggers. So if I ask the person to stand upright and I want them to feel their extensor muscles in their low back, and let's say they're rock hard, 
their chin is poked forward. Those muscles never get a chance to relax. No wonder they're in pain. But if I can lift their chest and pull their chin in, do you see how now I bring my mass over my hips? I just felt my back muscles relax. So for the first time, I've created a less painful foundation for the person to walk. And then instead of walking like this and stiff, I might say to that particular clinical presentation, swing your arms about the shoulders and they swing about the elbows. But as soon as we can get them to swing about the shoulders, we create storage and recovery of elastic energy less muscle contraction, and uh, it suddenly gives them a capacity to walk pain-free. But let's go back to the programming part now. So we've done our due diligence in understanding the pain trigger. We've done our due diligence in coaching movements and postures that unload the pain triggers. Now let's program it so they get pain at the five-minute mark. Don't walk five minutes walk four. And then we call this the park bench decompression. I might then say, put your heels of your hands on the back of a bench in a park or on the tailgate of a pickup truck or on a tree that's horizontal on the ground. Step back, push down with your shoulders and carry the weight down your arms. And some people will say, this is tremendously restorative. My back pain is going away. Good stay there for 30 seconds if you have the athleticism to do so then stand up they are now restored again and off they walk in the manner that we described for another four minutes do that four cycles and for the first time in several years they have walked for 20 minutes pain-free but we had to design the programming in tolerable intervals so that's called interval walking and you might be interested, I was giving a lecture to a medical society probably about 10 years ago. One of the surgeons in the room was a wife to a librarian. Her husband was a, a librarian and an expert in ancient Roman history. And he then brought to me some writings from the Roman scrolls. Julius Caesar taught his legions to march through the night for a surprise attack. This was a battle plan where he taught the Roman soldiers to walk heel to toe, swinging the arms about the soldiers, about the shoulders. And uh, in so doing, it became a very efficient way to walk and part of their success for a surprise attack in the morning. So, you know, it's, it's uh, fascinating, just fascinating when you can combine what has been practiced for centuries that our modern society and modern medicine has forgotten and justify it with modern science and find out, well, yes, there are some real impediments to, to, to getting uh, back pain people pain-free and able once again, uh, but it's a combination of a little bit of knowledge and a little bit of coaching. Wow. That right there is just a pearl. <laughs> I think that there are people out there that are listening and watching and saying that this could very well be the answer 
to their problem for not being able to walk for long distances, even though they're being instructed to. I just wanted to follow up though. Most people say, well, I just go for a walk once a day and that's what I do to take care of my health and my back health and so forth. So would you, it depends on the person and depends on their ability. So would you say once a day would be the prescription if they could possibly walk and do that in the way that you described? No, flat out no. What we're doing now is working with what pain-free capacity they have. The less, the lower the pain-free capacity of the person, the more often they must walk, but for shorter intervals. So we have some people who will get up out of the chair and walk for 10 steps into the room and back every 20 minutes. So that is the beginning of their movement protocols to start building resilience. But they can't walk down the driveway and back. They can't carry the garbage out all or trash, I think you say in Florida. But anyway, uh, that would overdrive their capacity and trigger pain. So we have to start somewhere. Obviously, the goal is to one day go out and enjoy life and go for a three-hour nature. Wouldn't that be wonderful if you finally built the capacity to do that? But if, if, if they can only walk five minutes, they will never get there till they, they adopt this interval walking strategy, build a capacity. And, and uh, you know, I, and maybe I'll, I'll mention this at this point as well. Uh, there will be lots of your listeners who've been told, oh, you've tried every therapy. The last thing for you to consider is surgery. Mm -hmm. And I'll say, really? Now, I've proven this. We follow up with every back pain patient referred to our experimental clinic. We followed up with every single one of them. those who fell into that category, that the last thing that was an option to them for success was surgery. We said, humorous. We're going to try virtual surgery. There, you've just had surgery and I touched them on the shoulder. Now, tomorrow, are you going to go to the gym and ride the elliptical or are you going to go, you know, and they'll say, I'm going to rest, get up, toilet, come back, rest, etc. And then by the end of the first week, they've reached other benchmarks and we slowly build them back up. In other words, rehab like you're post-surgical without the surgery. Now here's the surprising statistic. 95% who we prescribed virtual surgery, avoided surgery, and in a two-year follow-up, we're glad that they Now, that's not to say that surgery isn't helpful for some. It's very helpful for some subcategories of back pain mechanism. That statistic should be stunning. Anyway, we have, a again, a whole chapter on is surgery for you if you're considering it, what questions should you be asking, what procedures should you be considering because you want to minimize the risk of something not good happening and maximize the potential for something good to happen. Everything that you're saying, I can just see people at home and or wherever they are listening or watching, just kind of nodding their head and, and getting this new information. It, it reminds me when I first found out about the plant-based lifestyle and all I kept thinking, and I'm thinking that a lot of people with your talk are probably thinking the same thing. Why didn't somebody tell me this? It just makes so much sense. So we were talking about sitting being the new smoking, but you know, some people are having to sit because they're working in front of the computer now and not and people aren't running around as much as they used to be or they're not able to get out much because maybe the weather so they just are sitting quite a bit and you said that walking could be something that could be helpful if you did it in the way that you described to work up to it but what can someone who sits much of the day do to help with back pain well in your question there you you really focused in on certain points so I'll reiterate some of them when I go down to the US 
and I drive through a neighborhood and I see there's no sidewalks in this neighborhood. That would be very rare to see in where I, meaning that whoever designed the neighborhood just assumed the car is transportation. I had a patient the other day doing a telehealth thing in, in the U.S. and they, they showed me a picture outside, quiet street with no sidewalks. And I said, well, we're not going to walk down the street. And I said, well, you've, you've really condemned yourself to ill health. And that's that, that, what do you mean by that? So I had to give the context and the explanation. Uh, your body wasn't designed to sit in a chair. Uh, you, if you want to be healthy and get rid of your pain, you're going to have to get out and start walking. And we're going to start with set intervals until you build your resilience, and then it doesn't become an issue anymore. So how about this? You work in front of a computer. I get that. But before you get in your car and go to work, or if you're working at home after breakfast, go walk for 15 minutes. That's all I'm asking for. At lunchtime, walk for 15 minutes. At dinner time, walk for 15 minutes. And before you go to bed, walk for 15 minutes. Now, if you don't want to do that, don't talk to me about back pain because I've just given you a strategy that is so simple. And uh, now, four times 15 is an hour. And some of them might say, well, I don't have time. And I'll say, okay, I think let's analyze this and we'll go through their lifestyle a little bit. And it turns out it's not that they don't have time, it's that they don't have priorities. So again, it's it's where they want to put their priorities to regain their health. They can go and eat fast food or they can go and prepare a meal with uh, nutrition and uh all of these other things optimizing their health. I don't want to keep harping on this, but uh that's a start. Now, in this particular chair, here's a, an office chair, and I'll just move my camera down. So this might be a chair that I would sit in to review uh, MRIs. So I'll just raise the chair up a little bit. And this is called a lumbar, and it's got an inflatable bladder to it. Now, if I sat in a chair, Many people all day long will get back pain from sitting. However, if they can inflate the support tuned just to them, move it up and down tuned just to them, they will find a position where they can lean against the chair, do their work at the computer, and it reduces the stress on their particular pain trigger. So if I was going to give you uh, an example of that, it's not uncommon for people to have open fissured disc bulges. Well, here is an example. Can you see the red mark right there in the back of that disc? This is the, not the ball and socket joint, but it's the spinal disc that I was talking about earlier that I could not redesign to be better. It creates a stiffness and a control. So when we stack the vertebra, they all uh, have a certain stiffness to allow you to carry load, carry your groceries or perform athletics. But if you keep bending the spine back and forth over and over again with high load, you're treating it like a ball and socket joint. Eventually, the collagen fibers start to delaminate. So I could take my shirt, which is a fabric, and if I wanted to delaminate the fibers, I would create stress strain reversals back and forth. A few will adapt a little bit of laxity and mobility. But when I cross the tipping point, I now create fraying or delamination. 
but the inside of the disc is a gel, like a little ball. That's what the uh, creates the hydraulic pressure that the disc balances on. But if I do too much motion with too much load, these fibers start to delaminate or separate just a little bit. Well, they're, con they're containing a pressurized gel. And if I bend forward now, watch what happens at that little delamination. I'm going to bend forward. Let me get the nerve out of the way. And I'm going to squeeze. Uh, there it is. And you start to see how it opens up now. And the nuclear gel starts to push out in a bubble through the delamination. So that's a disc herniation. A lot of people will have those starting in their backs. Now, I just showed you that if I have one of those and I sit for a while and I slouch, that exacerbates that particular type of spine pain mechanism. If I can put the lumbar in and inflate it and lean back, I've now engineered the mechanics to close the fissure. And uh, some other tips there, if I laid on my tummy, and we have some breathing drills as well, and then get up and do the walking with arm swing and whatnot, it allows that gel to gristle and seal the disc, and now you start gaining resilience once again. The bigger the disc bulge, uh, our work and other people have shown, the more likely it is to resorb. So, you know, I can go on and on. The key is to know with precision the pain mechanism, and then you will be guided with precision what to do about it and really address the cause. So there's a little bit of a thought on uh, uh, sitting. Uh, there are other exercises, by the way. Um, those who sit a lot, not in everybody, but in a lot of people, the brain has a neurological reaction over time. In some people, when they get out of a chair, they will use their hamstring muscles to extend their hips and their spine to extend their back versus a hip hinge, which I just shown there, which is a very weightlifting dominant type of exercise. We've measured this. People, some people with hip pain and back pain, the brain shuts down the gluteal muscles a little bit and they give more preference to the hamstrings. It's like if I put a bolt in your shoe, you will start to limp. The pain acts as a fuse box and it tells the brain, stop activating the leg and you will start to limp to unload it. It's The other thing though, that's called neurogenic inhibition, but the brain also sometimes, not in everybody, creates neurogenic facilitation to a muscle called the psoas in the front. And now how would we, uh, so that it, it, it activates and tightens. And the sign is when a person gets out of a chair and they have neurogenic facilitation, they get out of the chair and it's hard for them to stand up. They feel a tightness in the front of their hip. So we would target, I'll just do it on this side, We'll, we'll, we'll do a targeted stretch with a lunge and then push this arm overhead and feel the stretch to unleash the neurogenic facilitation of that particular muscle. How does a person know that they have this? 
the assessment. This is just fabulous. This is something I think people are just going to have to watch this a few times and maybe practice along with you with the different movements that you showed so that they could make sure that they have it well. Do, do you want me to really put that demonstration on a very, very high level and, and people will, those of your audience who are a bit more advanced in their understanding of this, they may have heard of fascia in the body and some of these other things. Let me show you how interesting this really gets. So let's say we did have the person who had a little bit of tension and neurogenic facilitation in their psoas, but they had the body type where the fascia is also involved. So I can palpate with my fingers the tendon and, and the body of the psoas muscle. So I can feel that high quadricep muscle, which is the rectus femoris. Now I'm going to palpate my fingers medially into the notch. That's the iliopectineal notch. Now I can feel the psoas tendon. I can go into a hip flexor stretch, but you will feel the tendon is not taut. I'm not really targeting the psoas. But if I put my arm overhead, all of a sudden, I'm going to push a little bit harder and more strictly. There, I just tightened up the psoas. So I tightened up the psoas with the fascial connections on this anterior chain. Now, if you can see my hand, I'm going to point my hands up to the ceiling. Now I'm going to turn my heel of my hand towards the ceiling and push even more. And I've just tightened up my psoas. Then I can internally and externally rotate the psoas. Now, I don't have a tight fascial train there, but some people that will cause, oh, that's painful in the psoas, and now they release it. So that's proving that they can wind up their psoas. So now let's talk about what is this, what is the ideal stretch? Again, the assessment will show, is their fascia involved in all of this? And do they need a very particular targeted type of stretch to unleash, unleash the fascia. But the next person, you see, it doesn't matter. The assessment always tunes and matches the most appropriate therapy to the totality of the mechanism, which could involve a lot of moving parts. Right, because we're all different. Some of us have tighter hips and or more flexibility in our bodies. The proportions of our structure could be different. There's so many variables and you're right. We all have a different injury history. We yes. all have a different size, parents, exposures, age, healing ability. Right. And that goes back to what I was talking about with my husband. He just got this generic handout and maybe somebody it would help and maybe for somebody else it wouldn't be a very good idea to follow those particular instructions. So now you talked about this lumbar. Is this something that comes with your chair or something that somebody could purchase if they didn't if they already had a chair that didn't have that option? Well, it's both. Uh, you'll notice some higher end vehicles, for example, have a inflatable lumbar support and the really high end ones, they go up and down and in and out. So they're much more adjustable, but uh, we've uh, developed these in, in many different uh, forms. For example, that is just a, uh, a generic lumbar. We have another model for people, say they're post-surgical and they've had a microdiscectomy and a little bit of a scar up the midline and therefore tenderness in the middle of their back. Touching their back there with a pad would actually cause pain. So we have a, 
another form, you'll see it on the website, with the middle scalloped out. So there's no pressure on the um, scar site. We have one for sleeping. Uh, it was funny, I first developed that for a fullback who uh, was uh, becoming disabled because he couldn't sleep in bed. He would lay back in bed and uh, his buttocks and his the thorax of his spine would bridge his middle part. You could see daylight under. He couldn't sleep without pain. Here's an NFL footballer. And yet when we built what we called a prop air, which is for sleeping, uh, it uh, took the pain away and allowed him to become resilient again, go through full training and, and back to full athletic potential. But, you know, it, it, it never ends with the combinations. And, uh, you know, I would see a patient where I would say, well, that just doesn't quite fit the solution. Let's engineer something a little bit more specific. And then you have another product, I suppose. I, I don't want to be crass in that way. But the object is to help that person who's in front of Because we just all have to function, at least function every day. And we have everyday things that we do and we need to be able to do them and rest. We talk about a plant-based lifestyle, which is so important, but so is sleep. And it's probably, as much as we like to think the plant-based lifestyle is king, probably sleep is king and your food is queen maybe. So we've talked about that we a lot of us do sit and if we listen to you and do what we're supposed to do, which is to get up frequently and walk around, but we're still sitting the rest of the time, which is still not a good idea. But if we're stuck doing that, what are some proper postures for sitting and standing and even lifting? Because these are the kinds of, we're doing these things throughout our day. Okay, you've known me well enough now. We've been best of friends for 45 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> you know the answer. So the assessment will reveal to us what the ideal posture is. So I gave you an example of working uh, in a front plank position on the wall, trying to determine what is that ideal uh, position? Now, if I had pain, that would be very easy to converge upon. So when a person has pain, we can converge very quickly. What is the best position for standing, walking, running, sitting, sleeping, etc.? It's the position that takes their pain. But when they don't have pain, it becomes a lot more difficult. Now, how old are you? What's your injury history? Are your hip joints fine? Uh, are, are your knees uh, stable? In other words, where now uh, it becomes a game of art and science. So I, I, the analogy I often use is how many car mechanics are there in the USA? I don't know the answer to that, but let's say there's 30,000 car mechanics in the USA. How many of those car mechanics could build a car that will win the Indianapolis 500 five years in a row? I'm going to say there's a handful of car mechanics who could. They are the masters of the craft. They know the science. They know the design. They know how to tune the inflation pressures of the tires. They know the rubber compound. They know the stiffness and compliance of the shock absorbers. They know the gear ratios. They know every part of it's a science and part of it's an art. You've got to have both. And the great clinicians have this blend of art and science. So the person who doesn't have pain, we need other metrics other than pain to guide. And if we said, well, we want to make them perform better, I might say, all right, list what the demands are of the performance. So say, say it's an athlete. 
what do you need to be the best tennis player ever? Now, if I get a young tennis player here and uh, I'll say, what are your training goals? And they'll say, well, what, what, what do you mean? We, we, we train. And I say, no, if I'm a genie and I can bestow upon you one athleticism that will propel you to Wimbledon, what would that athleticism be? And if the athlete says, um, I, I don't know, I, I hate to say this, but I tell them they need a new coach. They have not been with an expert who can even understand what their training goals are. And so they do all of these exercises that are nonspecific using up. See, biology isn't infinite. It is finite. And if you train all of these generic exercises, you might be training exercises where you could have chosen other exercises to get you to the world's best performance level. So foods are tuning your body. Exercise is tuning your body if it's the right exercise to the specific goal and the sleep is what allows the adaptations that you stimulate with exercise that are fueled with the right food to adapt because the adaptation occurs when you rest. So now we're starting to put all of this together when people realize the convergence of this art and science uh, like you have found life becomes magical instead of something you just get. I leave some consults with patients in tears. It is so draining on, uh, you know, I, I will get hundreds of emails every day from different people around the world. And they say, you know, I have this, this, and this, my life's miserable. I'm thinking of committing suicide. It's uh, no one can help me. We hear you're different. Could you, and you know, the, the tears, whether they're physical or just internal, it's just so hard to, you know, the best I can do is say, well, start reading back mechanic, follow the details. And, you know, a lot of them will say, that's all I needed. And some will say, no, I'm, I'm still, I'm a bit more difficult than that. Or I, I don't learn from a book or whatever it is. And I'll say, good, see, where do you live in the world? See this master. Well, if you want some testimonials, look at the bottom of our homepage and you'll see uh, some marquee people and it's enabled them to get back to being the top of their game. Amy, we, <laughs> you know, we, we get one kick at the can on, on this life. It's, it's just so heartbreaking when people don't make the most. Exactly. You're going to have me in tears very shortly. Here. <laughs> we got to change the topic. <laughs> well, as a plant-based lifestyle coach, I run across a lot of people and they have the information and they, not everybody follows through. And to me, I think it's kind of like the warning on the cigarette package. There should be one there so everybody can read it. And if they decide to still go and buy them, well, at least they knew. At least we told them. And we put a link for your website as, as well as links to all the different books that you wrote, not just for the lay person, but for the clinicians, because we do many times have doctors and and other people that want more detailed information as in our audience. So we have all the links for those things as well. Jim S, uh, mid eighties and overweight stenosis, lumbar four and five, can't stand for very long. I get a spasm in my lower back and have to sit. Walking is becoming more and more difficult. Knees bad too. So we were talking about tears now. <laughs> what do you think? Well, that's a real challenge. So we have minimal uh, if if Jim was not 80, but 40, with good knees, good hips, good balance, uh, some capacity left, our, our, our job would be a lot easier. But still, I'm not going to give up. Too many docs will say, oh, you're just old. Well, wait a second. Let's assess and see what potential there is. 
So, you know, I can't wave a wand. I would need to see the knees. I would need to see the back. But for Jim, stand up, go for a walk. When the pain starts, just see what helps. Cocking your hips back. Does that help or hurt? Or bringing your hips towards the wall and standing up. Does that help or hurt? Could you? Uh, I don't know if your knees will allow this. Again, the assessment will show. Can, and I don't know, maybe Jim is a little bit kyphotic. Maybe he's not. Maybe he has the hardware changeability to correct some of the kyphosis. Put the elbows on the chair, interlace the fingers behind the head, and now push down with the elbows into the chair about a pound. Wait 10 seconds, relax, pull the buttocks back and allow. Did you see how my elbows came forward there, Amy? Right. Yeah. Do that for a few cycles and then stand up. And if all of a sudden you can stand upright, suck a little bit more air and the pain is less, we've just found a little bit of a magic into creating some resilience. But there's just as much chance that that will make things worse. If it makes things worse, I'm still going to try and work with the upper alignment. And I might suggest just a little bit of a pelvic tilt in the pelvis. Does that take the pain away or does it make it worse? So we keep bracketing this and we go through the body. And I have no idea if Jim is heavy or slim. Yeah, it did say that he was overweight. Well, there's another uh, issue that I think if you and I work together, you could, I don't know if his nutrition is optimal or not, um, see if we could get the weight down a little bit. And it is incredible when people reach a more reasonable or a more ideal weight, suddenly their knee pain goes away or their hip pain or whatever it is. So again, I don't have enough information there to be specific for Jim. All I can do is talk in generalizations. But there are a few thoughts uh, to consider. Oh, that's great. There's no one that will wave a wand over Jim and say, oh, there's your pain. Some of those at least are, are things that people can, as long as you can stand, you can do a lot of the things that you did. And maybe even the one for the knees, if somebody who maybe couldn't get on the floor with their knees, maybe they could do it. Could they do it in bed? If No, but they no? could do it on the kitchen counter standing up. On the kitchen counter. Okay. Cause that's standing up. Now, I don't know what condition his hips are in. Right. But could he move his hips back standing? Excuse okay. me. And then. Oh, very good. I'm sure that that's going to be very helpful. I wish I could have had you on for about five hours because, and we still probably wouldn't have run out of things to talk about. <laughs> and I want to, again, tell everybody where to get in touch with you. We're going to put that on the screen as far as your website, Backfit Pro. And we also have links to the books that you have written because you wrote so many. The, the, the books that you have, a lot of them have different diagrams showing kind of the moves that you shared with us and many, many more and assessments and all kinds of things that people could really benefit from. And now do you do any, you said something about telemedicine? Do you do? I do, but I would first layer, I would uh, ask them to see one of our master clinicians that are listed on our website. The next layer is to see one of our certified clinicians, which is the next layer down in terms of uh, expertise. And then 
uh, if and and read start with the book back mechanic, which was really the one I wrote for the uh, lay public. That was the best way I had to outreach to the uh, masses because I I just can't see everybody obviously, oh. but we've spent great efforts in in training really good clinicians. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, I, I still, to this day, I mean, I've, I've been retired for years, and yet I still see one or two days a week uh, some elite performers. This will sound hard and crass, but if they're really interesting that I can study and learn even more from them, uh, I'm much more likely to see them personally. But I just simply don't have the resources to see the number of people, at least to serve the number of requests that I get. But please see one of our BackFit Pro clinicians. Well, it's great that you developed this way for other clinicians to become masters and, and certified with your program so that this way you could enjoy your retirement, but still you're helping others through other very special qualified people. And that makes it very attainable for a lot of us to have access to those things. It's great, great that you did that. I really wanted to thank you so much for coming on. Like I said, that we're usually talking about whole food, plant-based lifestyle, but whenever you adopt a healthy lifestyle and things start going your way, sometimes you start wanting to do better in other parts of your life, like making sure that your back is in good shape and if it's not, trying to heal yourself. So I'm really glad that you were here. I also wanted to thank Jessica from Just Test Voice. She did our voiceover and our promo. I wanted to thank somebody who's been in the background, and that's Rebecca from PKA Solves, and she's been engineering everything and getting all the questions and taking care of business so I can enjoy my time with Dr. McGill. Most of all, Green Warriors and special people that have just turned in maybe for the first time, I want to thank you guys for joining us because we want to spread the word of good health and even healing back pain. And that's why we're here. That's why Dr. McGill joined us. And I'm so glad that you joined us. And I encourage you to please like, share, and subscribe to broadcasts like this, that we can spread the word of good health and helping more and more people through the power of the internet. Just Task Voice, can you tell us who our next guest is going to be? The role of stress and mind-body Jedi tricks to mitigate it. Dr. Christina Miller, MD, is double board certified in emergency and integrative medicine. Take a deep breath and join us on Be Green with Amy live Wednesday, October 6th, noon Pacific. And if you have back pain, I think learning how to mitigate stress is also going to be another helpful thing for you, but it's helpful for all of us. So once again, I wanted to thank all of you. Thank Dr. McGill. Until I see you guys next time, please remember, be strong, be well, and be green. green. <laughs> thank you, Amy. Thanks, Dr. McGill. Bye, everyone.